Amen. Thank you so much, Jess. And let me add my welcome to Andy's. My name's Kath, if I've not met you, and hopefully um, get to chat with you um, in the courtyard later. And isn't it great to see the sun? Such a relief after so much rain this spring. Um, I hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. So as Andy said, this morning we're wrapping up the series um, on the spirit-filled life where we've been looking at what it means to be people who live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on the centrality of prayer in all this, looking at how the Spirit both helps us to pray, but also responds to our prayers. And you may have picked up that there are a lot of churches around the world, a lot of chat about how there's this expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to do something new. You might have heard this word contend a lot. As we contend in prayer for the next great awakening, there's a sense of excitement across the world that God is doing something new in this unique time as we come out of pandemic and come out of this disturbance that we've experienced in our lives. So this morning we're going to be looking at the example of the early church that we've just read in the book of Acts and also the example of church history as we seek to be a people who pray in partnership with the Spirit and for a move of the Spirit. And I've been struck by the way that these disciples prayed as I've been pondering this passage this week. They prayed constantly, it says, both before Pentecost, but also after it. And we see that work out in the book of Acts. And we see the difference that their prayers made. And I find myself, as I've been reading it, I've been asking myself, why? Why did they pray constantly, like they could easily have just not have done. They could have just turned away and done something different, but in that crucial moment, they chose to pray. And it makes me ask and ponder, why do I pray? And what actually is prayer really all about? So as I was pondering this, I asked some of my friends in the community of All Saints, and we're just going to watch a video now to see what their responses were. I think prayer, I find, changes me. Uh, so often I, when I pray, um, I find a real inner sense of peace uh, from having connected with God. I pray because when I do, my relationship with God is strengthened and when that relationship is strengthened, I feel a deeper sense of internal peace and joy that goes beyond my external situation and circumstances. I pray because it makes me feel safe, loved and I need something. There are so many reasons. It deepens my relationship with God and it transforms me so that I can pray your will be done and actually mean it. I think prayer changes things. There's this great uh, verse in Psalm 50 that says, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you will honour me. And um, yeah, just to know that God is answering and I've seen so many amazing answers to prayer. Praying helps me connect with God and um, 
it helps me to involve him in all parts of my life, both big and small. And it also gives me a real sense of peace and comfort. Because someone hurt themselves or they might be scared? Mostly for two reasons, I think. Uh, one, to thank God uh, for all the good things he's given me. And the other would be to ask for help and direction because uh, most of the time, I don't know what I'm doing. I love it. I love that honesty at the end there. Thank you to all those who were involved in that video. And so lovely to see the gorgeous little Ezra making a guest appearance there, one of the newest members of the congregation. So, what about you? What causes you to turn to prayer? And is it your first response or perhaps your last response? And how are you feeling about prayer right now? Are you full of faith or are you exhausted with praying over and over again, perhaps for the same thing and being hit by disappointment after disappointment? Where are you at right now? Wherever we're at, I want to suggest this morning that the spirit-filled life is the prayer-filled life. So in other words, to be people of the Spirit, we need to be people of prayer. We're called to depend on the Spirit, both for us, but also to partner with the Spirit for the sake of the world. And we simply cannot do that unless we're praying in a whole range of ways, both individually, but also corporately, as a church. So let's look at the book of Acts that we re just read earlier, which tells this unfolding story of the church after the resurrection of Jesus. And Luke, who is of course the author, often tells us during the book how central prayer was in the lives of the first spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. So we read in verse 14 of Acts that they all join together constantly in prayer. I love the way that the passion paraphrase of the Bible puts it, which says, all of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding day and night. The question is, why did they pray like this? Like they could have so easily succumbed to fear in that moment. Let's remember that their friend Jesus had just been brutally put to death. They'd been seen with him and it was like there was a death warrant over their lives. They could have succumbed to fear in that moment. They could have taken matters into their own hands. They could have decided to come up with their own plan between them, their own strategy. But they didn't. They did as Jesus had instructed them to do. They trusted him in that moment. They stayed in Jerusalem and they waited for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And while they did, they prayed. 
Remember, they'd seen Jesus praying daily. They'd been with him and they'd seen the way that he lived his life. Just a couple of months earlier, they'd watched him in the Garden of Gethsemane kneel down, agonizing before his father, just before he was taken to death. They understood what it was like to pour out your heart in prayer. They'd seen Jesus do it. They knew, just like Huddy said in the video we watched earlier, that in moments where they were sad or scared or confused, the best place for them to go was the place of prayer. And it's hard for us to know how much they understood of the events of what was going on, how much they understood of what they were caught up in the sweep of Scripture, how much they understood what was about to happen. But regardless of what they understood, there was clearly enough of an instinct and enough understanding to know that they needed to pray in that moment. And there was clearly enough faith and enough desire in their hearts to see God move that they wanted to pray. And as circumstances develop, as they see the rest of the early church start to unfold, I bet they're glad they did. In this posture of waiting and praying, we see, don't we, in, in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, that the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them, poured out upon the early church. The Holy Spirit fills them in this incredible way. And as a result, not only are they changed, but the whole community starts to be changed. We see in chapter 2 that 3,000 people in one day come to know Jesus. And we read that this deep sense of awe comes over them. And this, of course, propels them to more prayer and to more worship. So before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see this posture of prayer and waiting and after the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we see constant prayer and worship. Prayer seems to be the means and the end. So, of course, the story of the early church and the role a posture of prayer plays was not a one-off. And as we look at church history over the ages, we see time and time again that when God's people pray, things happen. In 1949, so not that long ago, guys, there are people still alive from that time, in a small village in the Outer Hebrides off the west coast of Scotland, two ladies in their 80s started to pray. Their names were Peggy and Christine Smith. One was blind and one was riddled with arthritis. These ladies knew their need and they knew the need of the community around them. They were hungry to meet with him 
and desperate that he would pour out his water on dry ground. Let's note that they were unable to attend public worship, something that we might be familiar with right now. Of course, their reason was that they were disabled. They weren't able to make it. But their place of meeting God was their home. And through these elderly ladies, God started speaking about how a blessing was coming and that he was going to bring renewal to them and to their church and to the surrounding areas. As they waited, they prayed constantly. And God started to raise up others around who would also lead in praying, praying constantly. One evening as this group of people prayed, the Holy Spirit came upon them in power. And witnesses say that the building they were in actually shook, so much so that plates in the cupboards could be heard rattling as wave upon wave of the Holy Spirit came to that place and filled the people in them, just like at Pentecost. And as this move of the Holy Spirit spread throughout the Outer Hebrides, It affected not just those in church. It affected the entire community. Bars closed. Rates of crime started to drop. We've seen that in so many other revivals across the world. This is the effect of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It affects the whole community. It was said in the Outer Hebrides that 75 people who eventually came into church had already met with the presence of God before they came anywhere near the church building. Don't we want to see a move of God like in the book of Acts and like we hear about in the Outer Hebrides and like other places around the world, many of these revivals that we have been recipients of Don't we want whole communities to be changed as the Holy Spirit is poured out, as heaven comes to earth, bringing transformation and healing to our land? Will we pray consistently like Peggy and Christine did that God will fulfill his promise in Isaiah to pour water on thirsty land, streams on dry ground, my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants? So what about us today? What does it mean for us today? And I don't know about you, but part of me is so up for praying, just like Peggy and Christine, to see another outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our time. And part of me is just a bit lazy, if I'm honest. Sometimes we know that prayer can feel like more of a should do than a want to. How many times have we been in prayer meetings when we wish, if we're honest, that we were actually doing something else, maybe watching our favorite Netflix series of the time? 
The truth is that prayer does not always feel like we're caught up in the heavenly realms, does it? And sometimes it can feel for sustained periods of time that the presence of God is far from us. But whether prayer is a joy or whether it's an act of obedience, can we commit as a community to get stuck in? It strikes me that as we seek to live this spirit-filled life and contend for a move of the Holy Spirit, we need to follow the example of the early church and the example of our brothers and sisters around the world like Christine and Peggy who have contended in prayer for a move of the Holy Spirit. So, as we come into land, a few words on how we might do that. First of all, let's remind ourselves of our deep need. Do we know our need of the Holy Spirit? And we might have to start by asking God to awaken a hunger in us. And we sung earlier, didn't we? Stir up a passion for your name. Maybe that's where we need to start in prayer. Do we know that without his empowering, we simply cannot continue the works that Jesus started here on earth that we've been commissioned to do? As Becky said in the video, we pray because we need something. And boy, do we need something. And not only do we need the Holy Spirit for ourselves, but as we look around at our friends and our neighbours and the wider world, we see such a great need, don't we? There's so much suffering and so much need of the Holy Spirit. And as we acknowledge our need and we look around to the needs of others, often that awakens a hunger in us to pray. And as we do this, the very process of praying and experiencing the presence of God, that often makes us long for more. I don't know about you, but I want to meet the presence of God and experience a touch of heaven. And it's not just for the feels, not just for the emotions, but for the sake of empowerment, for the sake of the world. So secondly... Let's fuel our faith. How encouraging is it when we hear an answer to prayer? Over the last year, I've been part of um, a small group, a prayer group that's prayed week in, week out. And we've prayed for various things. And as we've prayed, we've seen answers to prayer time and time again, over and over. We've seen people being healed. We've seen people's circumstances changed. It's been so encouraging. As part of the global IJM team um, over the last year, we've seen extraordinary answers to prayer as we've cried out day after day for the small things, for the small provisions, but also for God to move in the hearts of government, for God to move in brothels and institutions and the recoveries of people who've been caught in slavery. 
I'm sure you have seen answers to prayer too. So let's fuel one another's faith by sharing these answers because as we hear that, it stirs faith in us to pray more. Can we do that? Thirdly, let's remind ourselves of the utter privilege of prayer. In prayer and worship, we have access to the very presence of God. And we have the privilege of experiencing a taste of heaven here on earth so that we can bring heaven to earth. Let's remember that in the Old Testament, the priest would have to cover his face with a veil so that when they went into the Holy of Holies, the glory of God would not cause them to be killed because the glory of God was so intense. Let's remember that the glory of God hasn't changed. It's Jesus that has changed everything. And it means that we can now come into the Holy of Holies with unveiled faces as we come into the, pla into the place of prayer. 2 Corinthians 3 says that whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And so as we come to the place of prayer, we come with unveiled faces to contemplate the Lord's glory. Do we know that in the place of prayer, we have the privilege of being intermediaries between heaven and earth? Lastly, let's pray in community. We need one another, don't we, as we pray to sustain our efforts because we're weak on our own. If you're anything like me, you're far more likely to contend in prayer week after week if you're doing it with community, if you're doing it with your friends. The early church's constant prayers were communal prayers. We see that it says they were united in prayer. Praying in community keeps us accountable, but it also at times carries us. There's an author called Tish Harrison Warren who's written an amazing book on prayer um, this year called Prayer in the Night. And she puts it like this. When my strength wanes and my words run dry, I need to fall into a way of belief that carries me. I need other people's prayers. Sometimes we do, don't we? We need other people's prayers to carry us. So, as we emerge from lockdown, let's lean in. Let's commit to prayer as we remind ourselves of our great need, but also of the great privilege we have in the place of prayer. Mark Sayers says that every move of the Spirit in church history is birthed in and sustained by prayer. It's the means and the end. So let's, as a community, pray that God would pour out his spirit on the church again.
both to empower us, but for the sake of the world. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we pray. If we're able. And as the band just comes up, let's ask for the Holy Spirit to come afresh this morning, whether you're at home or in the building. And you might want to posture yourself physically in a position of asking the Holy Spirit to come afresh in your lives.